Hello everyone, I'm back. Did you miss me? Two in one day. Right, 30 seconds. We're going transatlantic. We're crossing borders, literally. You'll see what I mean in a second. All right, grab your beer, your wine, if you're in the UK. Can't have a wine. I mean, it's pretty much half the week done. But if you're in the States, you should be working right now. What are you doing? I won't tell the boss. I won't tell the boss you're watching this on LinkedIn. You can say, you can say it's professional studying research. I like that. Okay, cool. Hello everyone out there in the big wide world. I am Stephen Drew. If I sound like I've got a bit of a cold, you'd be right. I've been hallucinating all day, but I've just mustered enough strength and enough ibuprofens, paracetamols to kick on with the show because I'm super excited. I've got a guest all the way across the world who has signed in for this very important conversation, which we're gonna probably freestyle, because you know me, I don't script anything. Evelyn Lee, how are you? Good, how are you, Stephen? This is my second time here, so thank you for having me back, right? I know, we, we, so we did a podcast episode and people can check out that, but now we're going live. So uh, yeah, thank you for trusting me. I'm, I'm surprised you took up my offer the second time. You're like, nah, nah, I'm definitely not going live with this raving Welsh <laughs> lunatic. How have you been anyways? Um, I've, I've been good. Um, I've been good. Slack is wonderful. Um, family is good. Kids are growing. I don't know. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm good. So you mentioned Slack there, Evelyn Lee. In case people don't know who you are, tell us about yourself because you, Slack's a technology, a digital technology platform, but your background's in architecture as well. So you've got a weird and wonderful history of work. In your own words, who are you? Who am I? Um, so my day job is I am... Um, the head of the head of workplace strategy and innovation at Slack yeah. Technologies, um, but I'm a licensed architect. I'm a licensed building architect. I should clarify for any um, engineer architects, engineering software architects out there. Um, so, and it, and I I'm, I have my fellow. Um, I'm an FAIA member, I guess I should say, um, which is, I feel like more relevant to your crowd than if I were speaking to the tech crowd. Um, yeah, but I found my way through tech through a variety of different ways, but mostly through workplace consulting. Um, and in addition to my architecture background, I have an MBA and an MPA, which is a master's in public administration. Um, and on the side, so that's my full-time gig. My, my full-time gig is really helping Slack reimagine the future of work because pre-pandemic, and most people are surprised to hear this, we were only about 2 to 3% remote. Um, mm -hmm. even, with, even with our product, we were 2 to 3% remote. Um, so we are muddling through the same things that everything else is muddling through, trying to figure out what does return to office look like? What does the future of work look like? And then on 
my side hustle, as you know, is called Practice of Architecture. I co-host the podcast Practice Disrupted. And what I do there is I take a lot of lessons that I've learned either through business school and my colleagues that are off doing amazing things in the world or um, through my work at um, in Slack, and I apply it to architecture firms. So what are the lessons that architecture firms and practices can be taking away? Um, that you're not going to learn um, mm. if you are just focused on what other architecture firms are doing. Nice. I will. I will bring up practice of architecture in a bit. But it is very interesting, and and um, I, I quite enjoyed. There was a post that Slack made, which was said something like, "Hey, the company that which helps people work remotely has finally decided to work remote." So I enjoyed the the sense of humor that you guys have as well. But for anyone that's not used Slack before because in the uk i think that slack i've seen it around but the predominant one which i see in architecture practices at the yes you know yes. why because everyone has microsoft 360 they don't want to spend especially architecture firms don't want to spend anything more on tools so they just yeah. adopted teams um obviously i have a bias but at least yeah. i'm grateful that they adopted something right yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think Slack, Slack has its own charm. So I'm kind of in the Slack camp and I, I will be I will be honest about that. Um, but so let's talk a little bit more about agile working. So you mentioned that this stuff that's going on as well. Now, I and I will be honest, I have a friend who is a project manager who talked about agile strategies before and he kind of explained it to me and I didn't fully understand it. Now, when people are talking about agile working, are they talking about working remotely? Because you're right, I think architecture in the last year or two has come around to that, but before never, agile working wasn't a thing, right? Yeah, so there is there is a methodology in <coughs> tech, um, which is like like an agile way to run a, a project. Um, but when I talk about agility and we're adopting it for an architecture audience, it's really just how do you build in operations, processes, and policies yeah. that help you keep your business running, no matter what it faces. So pandemic could be an example. Um, snowstorms in Texas could be an example. Hurricanes in Florida could be an example. How, through all of the messiness that the world throws at, throws at us, do we enable our businesses to be able to continue to practice, um, you know, out, outside of these or even within these like extenuating circumstances? So, so being agile to me is, you know, how do we create? How do we create workflows that help us adapt? And that includes better, better hybrid working, better remote working. I, you know, hybrid is here to stay. There, there are wonderful firms out there that are remote, um, that are doing, that are incredibly successful, and they can show you how to do it well. There's even um, how to build a virtual practice course on my website, The Practice of Architecture, um, where we, um, which is run by two individuals with remote firms, with fully remote firms. But hybrid is here to stay. And the interesting thing to me is between the three modes of working, in-person, remote, and hybrid, hybrid's actually the hardest one to adopt because you have to have a remote 
mindset, even though you're in person. Um, mm. In order for everyone to have access to all the information they need at any time of day to get the work done. Um, so I, I feel like people are just like, we're just going to be hybrid and they haven't really looked at their systems. But really, we need to be redesigning things from the, from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just bringing up your website. We have a bit of eye candy in the background while we're talking as well. I, well, I, I can see that Gordon is a massive fan of Slack here, which says, we love Slack. So you've got a fan here. And I was laughing because I've got another comment from someone in the audience who is definitely not having a good time in architecture because the title of this video was The Future of the architecture profession what is the future of work and i would be honest that was one of the assignments that i had evelyn in this linkedin creator accelerator thing that we're on right yes. and i it is interesting because you talk about hybrid working and picking on that now in particular in terms of recruitment that has become a massive prerequisite and there's already architecture practices in the uk where evelyn they were a little bit tempted to go back to the ways you know it's like hey when you come back to the office and i get it that you'd want to come back to the office sometimes on your own terms to meet people collaborate and stuff but working full-time in architecture practice like you said, I'm not too sure that will fly with most people. So in terms of the future of work and architecture work and anything I've said there, I mean, what's your thoughts and trends? Well, first of all, I want to do a shout out to say thank you, Gordon. And I literally just delivered. A, um, yeah, thank you, Gordon Evans for loving Slack. I literally just delivered an hour long presentation to a firm on how they can use Slack better. Um, if you're just using it as a communication tool, I promise you, you're only using half of the tool set. So get in touch with me, DM me. Um, I, so I think the future is the future is hybrid, like the future is some type of um, digital first, but digital first, and we always say this at Slack, digital first doesn't mean never in person, right? Um, so I, I, I think, you know, there are firms that have a very successful remote model. Uh, there is a consortium at Slack called the Future Forum. And the interesting thing about the Future Forum's data and we did a podcast with two individuals from the Future Forum, is that they've been interviewing 10,000 to 12,000 knowledge workers, or they're now called deskless workers throughout the pandemic. And they can see how those sentiments of those people changed over time. So like how executives are feeling versus how project managers or, or directors are feeling versus how individual contributors are, are feeling. Um, and they have actually, they have wonderful statistics, for instance, that sense of belonging has actually increased during the pandemic for, mm. especially for minority working groups. So if you think about EDI and wanting to increase EDI within the architecture profession, um, sense of belonging has gone up. And the reason why that, ha and, that and they're specifically targeting um, Black, Asian, and uh, Hispanic uh, folks that they've seen, they weren't targeting them. I'm sorry, that's a bad word. They've seen an increase in sense of belonging. Um, and, and especially for, for mothers too, if you're looking at that split. Um, because one, but specifically for minority individuals, one, because there's there's not the code switching that people have to do when they show up into the office. And you don't, 
You can obviously get microaggressions in this type of environment, even virtually, but there's they feel less of it. So they feel a greater sense of belonging with the company. So, so there's interesting dynamics there going on with like hybrid work. The other thing that I think um, um, that is interesting from the study that I think plays in the architecture profession is, you know, um, over 90% of people want schedule flexibility, not, not like physical flexibility, like not like physical place of work flexibility, but schedule flexibility. And this is ranking right now. And I'm sure you know this, Stephen, with all of your, what you were working on, this is ranking second, trending second behind compensation um, and other benefits. So my ability as a mom to work, I tend to work my most productive hours are late into the evening or into the early morning. And if my boss or my work allows me to work those hours and do everything else that I need to during the day, then, then that's what makes me happiest. And that's when I'm most productive, but that means we need to schedule or we need to create workflows in the way we work to allow people to work whenever they want or whenever they need to, whenever they're most productive to get things done. And I think that's where architecture firms are actually struggling with the most. That, and then if you talk to partners, it's always about training the people that just came out of school, right? Because they, they think um, the remote situation, they, they don't get indoctrinated. This is, this is what I'm hearing. They don't get indoctrinated into the culture. It's really hard to kind of usher them along, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, yeah, it's very it's very interesting. You you're making me laugh when you talk about that because in my head I was thinking of, especially a few years ago, there was like a WeWork trend in the UK where it's like, hey, you can have a beer in the office and like, oh, you know, have, we've got ping pong in the corner. And you're right, it's like you can have all the ping pong tables in the world, but if my salary isn't good enough, I'm not going to be there. And to your next point, especially now, thank goodness for flexible working, because I tell you, Evelyn, which I found was a massive victim of this before. So as you said, families, mothers returning to work and stuff, the amount of amazing architects I, I would speak to who were returning from maternity and architecture practices back then were like oh can't really do flexibility if we give you half an hour in the morning to come in when you want then everyone else will ask the same so we can't really do that and i found that was a massive massive problem and people would kind of get lost in the system it does feel like it's easing up now and also i think the other reason for that has been because there's been a skill shortage you know the great resignation and all that stuff and i was speaking to someone today and they called me up and they were like hey steve i'm like hey what's happening and she and she was like i'm quietly quitting and i laughed because of that term makes me laugh you know of like basically giving up in the office but um, I, what I was going to say to you is I predict next year because of the recession, that talent bubble of like, oh my gosh, we need people, there's a shortage, so, you know, let's be flexible, let's be all that. I think because of the recession, it will go in the employer's favor because there's less jobs, and that could be an opportunity, especially if you're um, commercially malicious-minded or whatever. You could really clamp it down. So, Squeeze it on both ends, Yeah. Potentially, I mean, do do you think that the um, the recession in the UK? They've said officially the government that there's a recession. Do you see that kind of stuff happening next year? And do you think that might affect the trends of the future of work in architecture? 
Well, I, I mean, we're, so I'm in Silicon Valley, right? I'm in the Bay Area in San Francisco, California. And I am, I don't know how many of my architecture friends are following the massive layoffs that are happening in tech right now. And it's not, mm. it's not just the Twitters, right? It's um, Facebook took a, they, they took a chunk um, mm. out of investing into the metaverse. So um, I feel like they've, they've kind of overinvested and they're pulling back. Amazon is pulling back stripe um there are a lot of people i mean talk about the floodgates and the amount of talent that a good startup could snatch right now it's it, mm. that's available on the engineering side so so i'm definitely feeling it being in the tech world you know having people ask me about um we're feeling the recession and the layoffs already yeah um we, you know, we're on a, we're on a higher, like we are not adding headcount right now to, yeah. to, to our, to our company because of, because of it. So, so in that instance, I'm, I'm feeling it. I think um, architecture buildings, according to the AIA report was down. Now this is for the first time in, I don't, I don't know. I, I, we've had an unexpectedly long run, right? So, and it was down for the first time. Um, given the amount of growth, it wasn't, I would say it wasn't down that much, but it was down like 2.4% or, or some, don't, don't misquote me, go check out the latest report. Yeah. But I, but I think it's, I, you know, recessions are inevitable. I think you can't, you can't talk to somebody who has been in this field for more than a decade, who hasn't experienced a recession. Right. And I think what I'm worried about is, and I'm already seeing this in, in tech companies, you know, the, as soon as people see their billings, the profitability go down. They're like, what can we correct? And like, we need to go back to what was working for us and what mm -hmm. was working for architecture firms or what they believe was working for them was like being back together in the firm all together, being innovative. That's how we brainstorm. That's how people learn. Mm. So I feel like, you know, when things get cranked down, there's like this default to return to the way things always were. I think what we are struggling to acknowledge is that the pandemic created this moment in time that really shifted how we were working. And we need to continue to like say, hey, we learned some lessons throughout all of this. How can we move forward and move our work in a, a new and better direction rather than trying to go back to things the way things always were? Yeah. And let's face it, the way things always were weren't always the great in architecture. Um, we we are we thrive when our clients are building. We suffer when our clients aren't building. We haven't really fully expanded our set of services to help us ride that wave. So unless we have a pipeline that doesn't ever go on hold, which is rare for an architecture firm, um, we need to figure out how to we need to design new business models to get around that ultimately. Mm. Uh, that that is the well because there's always a big talk in the uk about fees because architects are kind of slashed their fees or developers have put it down and that kind of sets the squash from the get-go right but what i was going to say to you is on the other hand with the, uh, any recession or a change of things i think that and this could sound a bit crazy but there's also a lot of opportunities there right i mean we talked about old massive floor plans and stuff you're talking about slack slack is like teams but probably better sorry microsoft 
Bill Gates, if you're out there, I still love your products, but Slack's on my podcast, right? Anyways, Slack's really cool. It enables people to work remotely. And, and an example I was going to say is a massive architecture practice could probably cut up their floor plan, save money from that, and have flexible working coming in. Have you started to see in tech or architecture, any of these companies doing that? Um, I haven't seen it yet. I've only seen a recruitment company which has cut their floor plan down. But I'd love to hear your thoughts if you've seen any of these changes coming about. Yeah, so I think the 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 I have like <laughs> not used to this live scenario. Ask my ask my co-host on Practice Disrupted how many times we go through takes um, on the podcast. So you're a natural. Don't worry, it's my, it's no. little old my unpolished podcast. You know what it's like, we'll just have a laugh. <laughs> no, um, so if you are looking at a tech firm who very early on in the pandemic said, this is how we're going to work going forward, and I really absolutely kind of applaud them for doing this, is look at Dropbox. So Dropbox said, we are no, they, they were like, um, they had like, like any other major tech company, they they were in big hubs, right? So they're in, a, in EMEA, there's a lot of people in Dublin, they had their headquarters in San Francisco. They just finished a brand new headquarters, maybe opened up two months before the pandemic. And I don't even want to know how much they spent on that. Mm-hmm. Um, they made, they said, we're going to work mostly remote. Our offices are going to be converted to studios. They let go of a lot of their office space and they've started like doing these little studios that are actually closer to where people are working rather than in city centers, um, which often takes many people hours to commute, like more than an hour to commute into, right? So that I think is a prime example of a tech firm that is really embracing a new way of working um, and that they did it from like very from the very beginning. Um, I think you will find and, you know, word is on the street that all of the 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 fangs of the world, you know, the Facebook architect, like Facebook alphabet, um, Netflix, Google's of the world will probably start um letting go of some of their real estate footprint. What is really hard though right now is like there there is no one to let go of the real estate footprint too. Right. right? The sublease market is is filled, right? Half most of our like more than half of our floors in Salesforce and Slack aren't open right now because we don't have enough people coming in. So there's definitely a need to, I think, lessen our floor plate. Um, but some people are holding, some people are like, even if we put it up out on the sublease market, no one else is going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether or not people are actually looking at actively doing it, there's a lot of empty real estate sitting around, especially in downtown San Francisco. Well, I'm going to give you a clap because you're all worried about takes and stuff, but you're, you're giving lots of juicy nuggets of tidbits of information. I tell you what, Evelyn, in the UK, though, I think where I think it's going to be a problem and where flexibility could be useful is because it's very hard, I think, having worked in an architectural practice now for just to increase everyone's salaries. As much as I think architects are underpaid, you just, unless you're in a very fortunate position, in the UK, inflation was 10%. It's very hard for a business just to give 10% extra to everyone. And I think that 
while salary, as you said, is the most important thing, I think that if you can't pay people as much as you want as an employer, it's probably a really good thing to start looking at flexibility, looking at those soft benefits, because actually there's a few people I know that will go, like you said, hey, if I can work the hours that I need to, then having this salary is fine because, you know, being an unflexible situation, this salary, maybe I can have this job at a salary, which I prefer a bit more, but suits my livelihood. So I think that the smart architecture practices should start adopting that. And we'll obviously try and get your fees higher as well so you can pay people. But that's kind of my predictions. Do, do, do you do you hear in the States the rumblings of this kind of thing? Or is this problem now of inflation versus salary a very UK-specific thing at the moment? No, I think... Well, this is globally, though. I mean, I, mm. I was one of those people. So I, this is globally, and this is endemic and systemic to the architecture profession. We yeah. do not ask our services, whether we ask or not, our, typically our services aren't valued um, where where they should be, right? Yeah. And um, there's there's any number of, and I, and I feel like, I feel like the profession is waiting, like everyone is else, everyone is waiting for everyone else to do something about it. Like they're like, I can't raise my fees unless everyone else raises their fees or the, the AIA or other larger organizations needs to put regulation in place to, to protect us from losing more work. Um, which is something that you do not hear about within other industries, right? There's an entrepreneurial individual who's just going to go out and say, you know, I'm going to deliver a service a little bit differently. I'm going to market myself and talk about that value and be able to charge a little bit more to certain clients in order to get the fees that I need to pay my my employees well. Um, I, I just... Um, what was your like? What was the original question? You answered no, it. You answered it this perfectly. Is a, this is it's a global, but this is a global thing that everyone is struggling with, and I think it's yeah. it's becoming really apparent, especially I would say most recently in New York. Um, we were just talking about there's this um, Instagram post that's going around um, uh, for yes. a firm in New York that um, posted their job and they're being criticized. It's a pretty well-known firm. They were just on the, like, the Architecture Records Innovation and Technology Conference, um, you know, that are that are really being grinded and, and, and at least they're keeping their comments open for now on what they're paying, the salaries that they're paying that their employees. Um, so it's, no, it's a global problem. And I think, and, and there's not one solution, right? But I do think architects need to look at how we can be more entrepreneurial and how we can be more innovative about, we're very innovative about our buildings. We're not innovative about our business mm-hmm. and how we deliver services. I think there's an ability to look at where can we expand our services Right. And then also, what lessons could we be learning from other industries around building the pipeline, building, doing business development, marketing um, that could help us get in front of, of more people? Right. Mm. So um, there, there are other I 
we need to be more entrepreneurial um, and we can't, you can't sit around and wait for the industry to move. Um, mm. Right. Some people have to start moving the needle. Yeah. Yeah. No, well said. While we were chatting, we've had one or two nice comments come in, which is nice to hear nice stuff, isn't it? So Nicholas Burns says, agreed. Good stuff. And Ayo Abba says, brilliant interview. Well, see, oh. see, it's, it's Why it can you see the comments and I can't see the comments? Ah, maybe it's, it, there's a comment button. Have a look there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've turned the permissions off. I tell you oh, what. No, you- I can see it. Okay. You you can see it. Well, you look at the, the the naughty first comment, which I haven't even brought up, which has a lot of swearing <laughs> and blinding. Even though I thought it was funny, I don't want to get kicked off LinkedIn just yet. What I was going to say, Evelyn, and give you a bit of a breather from all the awesome points you were raising. You talked about salaries and that um, that post on LinkedIn. Uh, sorry, Instagram, right? Where it's talking about a job opening, salaries. And it's a very, I think it's a very complicated issue because on one hand, everyone is saying salary transparency is key. We want to see salaries advertised on on architecture jobs. However, having worked in an architecture practice and the recruiter, there's a few reasons why maybe companies want to kind of not say it. Maybe that's because they don't want to show their hand and there's a salary saving there. But also... Um, when stuff like this happens on Instagram, even though it's very important to bring it out, I think that employers get scared to say anything and therefore it's just safer not to say anything. To say anything. I do want to acknowledge that there are like well-intentioned employers yeah. out there who, for instance, would love to give mothers six months of maternity leave. Yeah. But that is six months that they are paying somebody who are not billable, right? So we need to get away from this model where like we're incentivizing people to actually spend more money. I, we've talked about like, or I've talked about this on the podcast in multiple different formats. Like if you are, if you are a, a firm that's delivering like dollar, like fee, like you know, per hour on the service, you're like actually incentivized to spend longer doing menial tasks um, because they're billable hours. Then you are incentivized to like spend some overhead time actually figuring out how to make products, projects more productive. So it's, it's, we're, we're hurting ourselves ultimately. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, our um, lovely guest in the audience, Nicholas Byrne, adds um, his uh, viewpoint on it, and he says it comes to value versus price. Great designs add exponential value. Your price drives um, your drive price down. You are likely to create less value. Well, interesting perspective, um, Nicholas. I, uh, do you know? Because I mean, I haven't worked on a project like that in many years. But I tell you what, in terms of a recruitment perspective, I think, like you said, there was a project years ago that I did work on, and a common theme I get in terms of when people ring me up and they want to leave is because they've they've been on that project, and every office has that project. You know, the black hole. And sometimes, if you're stuck with the black hole project, a smart employer <laughs> will try and not let people stay in it too long, right? But yes. normally, that's the the that project. And that fatigue and that work in long hours just really upsets morale. And, and that's the one other point that I wanted to touch upon, Evelyn, if we got a minute to, is morale yeah. in, in, in a company 
is infectious in both ways, you know, and I think that honesty and transparency can work out really well. And actually, I think the more you're open to people, with people, I think the more that they respect you for it. The worst kind of company cultures that I've worked in, whether it's architecture or, or recruitment, is when the management doesn't tell the staff stuff, you know what I mean? Right. And then, and then yeah. you, you build up that divide. But at the same time, like you say, where I do sympathize with business owners, especially as I'm running the small um, business now, it's very hard to do the projects, set all the stuff up, set the infrastructure up. We were talking about Slack earlier, getting all that stuff going. It's a lot of task. And I think sometimes, like you said, we're just humans and the employers can drop the ball just as much as the employees, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think they're well-intentioned employees that don't know, that aren't, that haven't been busy savvy. And it's not like they don't want to pay their employees better. They just don't know how to put themselves in a position, whether yeah. it's, it's marketing or services offered, to 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 do that for their employees. Um, yeah. yeah, not, not, you know, architecture is not necessarily filled with horrible employers. I think we're just filled with people who don't, understand business as well as they should well said well i think we covered that point in terms of a lighter more chilled out topic right i yes. want to just kind of go on to um less doom and gloom give you a break and talk about the practice of architecture because i think i like what you've done right and it was always one of the precedents in terms of the kind of content I like on the architecture social. I haven't copied you, you know, I've got my own style, but I like what you're doing for your audience. Well, do you want to tell, do you want to tell everyone a bit where the practice of architecture came from and what it's all about? Oh my God. So I feel like, like ever, like any good business, the practice of architecture continues to evolve and pivot because it needs to. I started it actually while I was in business school because I was reading all of these articles in all of my other classes, be it marketing, accounting, even economics of like, why aren't, why aren't we reading? Like, why aren't architects reading these articles? So it began purely as a, a collection a curated collection of articles that I thought architects might, who ran a business might be interested in mm. running. You landed on the courses page. I'm literally in the process of rebuilding this whole thing out. So it, can, it looks you good. Go you got <laughs> one here, which is perfect for what we're talking about, which is quite cheap, actually. Team management and productivity uh, for our hybrid, hybrid workforce. Work. There you go. Yeah. We're I was showing, showing, I was like, it's not that expensive, but it was, it's actually, it's showing UK prices. That's why I'm seeing. So, um, so what it has evolved to, or what the end game of practice of architecture ultimately is I, I was coming out of business school. There was all of these incubators going on. I was like, I want practice of architecture to be an incubator and an accelerator for new ideas for services and products coming out of the design industry from mm. architecture firms. That's the big goal. That still remains there. But then things like the pandemic happened. And then I realized, you know what? Architects have a really hard time getting out of their own way. Like, they do not have the brain space to think about new products and services because they need to get the basics of business down <laughs> to yeah. some degree, right? So how do I help now, especially small and medium-sized firms um, on the operations side so that we can um, 
so that they can free up space to think about new products and services that they can offer so they can pay their employees better. So, so it's a series of, and then last year we launched a community so there's a community, much like you have a community of your own, Stephen. Oh, we have, Evelyn, it's hard work. Don't do it. Yeah, well, do it. Do I it. enjoy it, but well, you know what I mean? It. I mean, we did it. So we, we, have a, we have a small and mighty community. If you go up to the top, if you go back to click on the logo on the left again and go back to the main site. Oh, I've kind so, of logging in there. Am I going to the right you place? You it. Go, um, go back. Hit back. Oh, dear. Back Sorry. I'm no, terrible okay. at driving the PC. Where would you go, like me to go to? There, the main go page. To the, yeah, and then go, nope, sorry, this is the course page. Go to the upper left, just click on the logo in the upper left. Upper left. left. Oh. The practice of architectural logo. Oh, I've got to get off the courses page. Yes. Okay, let me just, I manually change okay, it in the browser. Okay, now go to POA Lab. Okay. So this I've is my it. community. Ooh. Um, and we're in the process of redesigning this. Like I said, we're constantly pivoting. So the practice of Architecture Lab is really for individuals that I would say new practice leaders or new middle managers. Even we actually have some decently new grads in there that does want to approach practice differently and want to yeah. think about practice differently. So within there, we are offering, we're built, I'm beginning to build out playbooks and other exclusive content. Nice. They get access to webinars for in the courses, webinars for free, courses at a discounted amount. And next year, I'm going to be again to introduce different frameworks, um, whether it's personal frameworks that help you understand what you're most passionate about, or whether it's business frameworks that you can use um, to manage your business and projects better. There's all of these different types of frameworks in the world. So I'm thinking about introducing a new framework every month and people can yeah. take that and decide whether or not it's meaningful to them. So that's a, a lot about what the practice of architecture is. Um, join the lab. Um, it's going to be evolving over the holidays too. I have big plans, but um, yeah, join us in the lab. I love it. And um, just for anyone out there, I do not do sponsored content. I only do content that I like. So it's got my endorsement. Having said that, Autodesk, if you are listening, I am very open to having conversations. <laughs> <laughs> when I was saying the community, I love it. And during uh, the lockdown, the community was so important to me. Do you know what? Interestingly, um, the architecture social gets more people on the dot com. Um, there, uh, sorry, on, yeah, on the actual website than my community. So the community has gone down, and I still do it, but the rest of the website has kind of picked up. And I think that I think that's a trend that I've noticed. I think there was a while, Evelyn, where I think communities were a bit fatigued out. You know, I mean, everyone yeah. was like, oh, another community. But you're right. I think it's starting to resurge again. But the trick with communities, which it sounds like you're doing, is you've got to have tailored content and a meaning and purpose. And I will be honest with everything that I've been doing. I kind of have been doing one or two other things. So round of applause for doing a community. Oh, thank you. I'm, I've still got PTSD from mine. Actually, I'm joking. Do you know, I went to... Um, <laughs> I did, went to an event on Friday, and I tell you the nicest thing I heard for a while was that someone who was on the Architecture Social, I bumped into again, and um, they made friends with someone else for the Architecture Social, that community. Well, that's great. Right. I mean, that's what it's for. 
Right? Yeah, exactly. So I was like, I feel fulfilled. And so I think that communities are really important on that. Actually, I have got one or two things that have come in as well. So I've got AO again saying this is a great resource, didn't know it existed. Yep, you got to check out um, Practice of Architecture. I absolutely love it. And Red Mike wants to throw his money at me. No, I don't think it was quite that. He said, can outside consultants also provide courses on your platform? Well, I guess you're always up for talking about these kind of stuff, Evelyn, right? I mean, we have to check out what Red Mike does first, but, you know, yeah, are you no, open to collaboration? So help architects make short films of their process and work, which I actually think is important because yeah. so much of the websites that I see of architects are really for other architects and not for their actual clients. That's a whole mm. other conversation. Um, so Red Mike, yes, I partner. I will say that something is going to be keeping me, and Stephen knows we can't talk about this, but something is is going to be keeping me if you go to linkedin.com you might figure out what it is very busy the first half of the year so i am putting webinars on hold until the middle of next year but i am already scheduling so hit me send me a dm um, if you want to join the community you're welcome to join the community um, and and participate there and tell why it is important to be um, a visual storyteller from a marketing perspective, that voices, those type of voices are always welcome in there. Um, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. I was reading Red Mike, he says he does spirit of space, which helps architects make short films of their process and work. Very, very cool. So Red Mike, actually, that sounds quite interesting. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Evelyn, you've been having my questions, which I've quick fired at you. There's no preparation on the Architects Associates show, no. but that's how we like it. Now the tables can turn, right? You could yeah. fire a few questions at me, which can be anything if you want. I mean, that sounds well, but, a bit dramatic. I mean, we can go deep in this. So I feel like one thing that we haven't covered is we're both in the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program. Yeah. So I feel like... And we need, frankly, friends, we need more architects in the Creator Accelerator program, yes. not less. So why don't we talk a little bit about what that is, how we got in here, and then I want to I want to dig deep into kind of what you're you've been posting and what you're you're finding out about like the metaverse and and Web three related to architecture. Yeah, cool. So so to start off with your question, so the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator course. And I really think people should check it out because it's a paid course. LinkedIn pay for the content yeah. support you. And I think that's great because it does require work. But again, with the theme of everything we're talking about here of value and time, I do think that it's really nice that they economically support you for it because the course does take time. And so to further expand upon that, basically... I think I made an application a few months ago and I was like, hey, I'm very interested in continuing the work on the metaverse and web free and all this stuff because it's very divisive. You know, like the way yeah, Slack, I think now you could be like, oh, software, and you get a few people talk about that stuff. But generally now Slack's more embraced because of hybrid working and stuff. I think that the metaverse is the new space in that way where it gets really people's backs up because... You don't need to be a registered architect to design in the metaverse, which I think already opens a massive can of worms. But emotions aside, 
That's what I wanted to talk about. And so the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program is you have to do a minimum of three pieces of content a day. You've got to tag them up around the subject. Right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We, yeah. Sometimes it does feel like a day, though. <laughs> sorry, everyone. It's a week. So you got to do a minimum of three posts a week. You, they can all be on the same day, but probably like it's better to spread it out. And you've got to try different mediums. So what I've noticed in the group is that people would start doing live streams. Now, I've been doing live streams before, but stuff that I've noticed on LinkedIn is different kinds of content pull in the algorithm so for example you can make carousels from images i didn't even know you could do that you can post documents on linkedin but the juicy nugget which i started discovering before and has really been quite popular on the linkedin creator accelerator program is polls and so polls go quite viral they get a lot of traction i can say a poll like do you like the metaverse yes no i hate it i love it and it will go quite far so those are the kind of exercises on the LinkedIn Create Accelerator program. But I love it because I actually genuinely think that out of all the platforms, you've got Instagram and all this stuff, I really like LinkedIn. And that's why actually I think that everyone here, we're on it now, the more time you can invest in LinkedIn and the platform, if you're going to choose out of them all, the better, right? Elon Musk is having his fun on Twitter, right? Wow. Talk about an absolute car crash slash i've been enjoying it with my popcorn can't wait to see all this stuff with the blue ticks and all that stuff it's been crazy but what i like about linkedin is everyone has their names on it they're not anonymous it isn't the trolls and while you can get challenging debate everyone's got a professional front you know what i mean and what i think that does is it really levels it but also the last thing is that linkedin out of all the platforms i think is one of the easiest to go viral especially if you're building your content from nothing i think that it's quite quick to get traction because you build up your connections but also they've introduced followers so long answer but that's what i think the linkedin creator accelerator program is that's what i've been up to and it's great to be doing a course on the platform, which has actually helped me the most in my business, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, so yes. So yes to all of that and and we get paid. But um, so LinkedIn, create, so the Creator Accelerator program, I think they said like only 1% of members on LinkedIn are, are creators. So there's a lot of people that like mm. posts and there's a lot of people that repost articles, for instance. But so few um, are, are actually creating on the pro, on the platform, which is why they developed this LinkedIn accelerator program. And I'm in the second cohort. Is this the second cohort for the UK too? Do you know? I think first for the UK, the US is the second one. Right. So they've like decided that we're going to invest $25 million into creators. And this course is a part of it. So I every year maybe more often coming in the future, I actually have no idea. They do an open call for creators. So just, you know, Google LinkedIn Creator Accelerator Program, you'll find out more about the program there. Um, and then, you know, what I learned throughout this is LinkedIn has creators on the platform that are actually managed, meaning they have somebody supporting them behind the scenes that they do regular check-ins saying like, here's how you can 
help build your audience on LinkedIn. One of the interesting takeaways for me in participating in the program is that it's helped me on other platforms. I don't know about you, Stephen, but for like, I barely post on Instagram. Like I've seen an increase in followers on Instagram and Twitter and like all the other platforms while I've been posting on LinkedIn and I haven't been posting on the other platforms. So I don't, I don't know the correlation there. Um, and as uh, you know, Aya says it's, it is a platform for business. And what I love about LinkedIn is like, is the way their algorithm works for whatever reason, your content stays up there and can kind of reemerge over time versus, yeah. versus on other social sites, I feel it's very ephemeral, right? If you don't get a lot of likes or hearts or whatever it is within the first day, like that never, it never comes back up, but I'll get notifications from LinkedIn about something I posted like two months ago where somebody found it and re-engaged with it. So. Yeah. And just to touch upon that, because I think Instagram used to be the architect of choice because he was quite image based. Visual, right? Yes. However, I think that's a great case study because they have totally gone down the video way, in my opinion. Like the algorithm has shifted quite hardcore towards TikTok-y kind of videos. And you can get a lot of traction on that medium. It's just a different way of going about it. So like you, I've kind of wound down on Instagram. Facebook, I don't even go there, except bizarrely, because we talked about we run websites, Evelyn. There's a few communities on Facebook in there's these niche big, groups. There's a few communities on Facebook that will always, for whatever reason, be on Facebook. So that's literally what I primarily use Facebook for is there's a, I live in Lafayette, California, and the area I'm lived in is called La Marinda. So I'm literally like on there for my La Marinda community, but there's some other good communities. Joanne runs the Women Architects Club, the WAC out, and that's nearly 4,000 women architects in that wow. group. So if you have any women architects listening, um, there's a mothers in architecture group, there's a parents in architecture group. Um, most of the audience there, I would say, is US. There's Entree Architects. Um, yes. There's sole practitioner architects. There's there's a lot of groups there, and they're actually pretty active. Yeah, I've I've um, you will laugh, but when I was in the midst of building up the community, and then you go to Andre Architect, that you just have like everyone just chit chatting away. I was like, I can't believe how much people are talking there and how active it is. The other bit, um, maybe the last talk about um, social medias is. TikTok is quite an interesting one. I, I mean, I've just kind of got to do the reels. Um, however, Architect Russell, I always admire what he does because the guy has like 5 million TikTok subscribers. He's the nicest person ever and goes completely viral. But I think it's more about what is the target audience? What is the demographic? So in my business, it's reaching out to business owners in architecture or job seekers. And I think LinkedIn pretty much knocks it out of the park on that front if you get what i mean yeah no absolutely get what you mean um anyways linkedin if you aren't posting more content on linkedin go post on linkedin yeah people want bite i think it's um the more you start doing it the easier it gets and like the way you were saying oh, i haven't done a live stream before the first time i did a live stream i was two people in the room and i was so nervous but two years later now you just kind of you now just, you're like whatever I'm just yeah 
I've I've had connections yeah. go. I've I've sounded like Mickey Mouse for the first five minutes. I've had my microphone die halfway through. And after after those things happen, you just crack on with it. But Evelyn, before yeah. we kind of wind down, is there any other questions that you have for me at the moment? Um, so you did an investigation into the metaverse. So what is your take? Is there, uh, what, what is the near future view of architects working in the metaverse? And then what is your, because I feel like, you know, the metaverse, the metaverse and the digital, like there's, there's no, not enough detail there to write, yeah. to create a digital twin of what is or a virtual twin of real life. So, yeah. so what is your near take on how architects are using the metaverse right now? And what, what, where do you think it's going in in the future? And do we need to be paying attention? Great question. I think it's probably the most entrepreneurial part of architecture that I've seen for a while. As in, I think that it's an exciting phase right now. It's kind of like, it reminds me of computational designers 10, 15 years ago, where people would be like, okay, I can kind of see that important in the future, but whatever, you know, you've got that one guy in the office who's really passionate about computational design. However, meh, we'll, we'll see. And I think in terms of jobs, no one's taking it seriously in that way. And also, in terms of architecture, where it gets blurry is that metaverse, you don't necessarily need just architects in the metaverse because you need game designers. It's all that hybrid stuff. So um, to answer your question in the short term, um, I had um, I had a, a chap called Matthias Stankati on, and he's got this thing called Sunken Blimp. And so he lives in Miami at the moment. I mean, you guys are just kicking ass over there on, on innovation. And basically, he's like got big, serious clients which pay him a lot of money to design these core, these beautiful stages in the virtual world. So, for example, it was like a car showroom in the desert. And it was a sizable mm -hmm. fee where he can hire a few people, right? At the same time, though, I think that you're going to get people experimenting in it and it's going to be that brutal entrepreneurial area where maybe you don't get money for it. Maybe you learn stuff, you give up because you can't make money. And I think that's what will happen in the short term is that I think people who stick with it, they're going to kind of evolve with the platform and they'll be the first in the space i reckon it's going to be a bit like amazon you know when the web bubble came you had lots of websites and they died you know and amazon right. survived and i think nfts are a bit like that i was interested in nfts but the amount of stigma nfts get you know about how practical they are what a waste of time how interesting how terrible and i think them right. they're not going to go away but there's going to be this pressure point in the long term when you've got companies like Facebook who are changing their name to Meta and you know as much as whatever you think about Mark Zuckerberg right he can't be that crazy to spend billions and for it not to work so I don't think it's going to go anywhere and I think that the spaces are going to get more interesting and there will be architects involved. Zaha Hadid is involved in, in these metaverse projects. However, who is going to be the, the top businesses of the future? Who's going to be the SOMs and the Fosses and partners? And will they all be architects? And I think to finally answer your question, in the long term, right now, 
I'm not convinced whether architects would be the architects of the metaverse. Uh, maybe, but we've got to take that space seriously and there's a high risk. So that's kind of my thoughts roughly at the moment, you know? Yeah. I mean, my whole thing is whether or not you want to engage with it now, I think we need to keep an eye on it, right? Yes. Um, it's something you need to at least understand. Um, like one thing you need to understand about NFTs, it's really like, it's not just art. It's <laughs> too, right? <laughs> it's a non-fungible token that can be applied to anything. Anything, um, so yeah. There's, like there's entire communities being built out on NFTs that have nothing to do with artistic, artistic, like the artistic nature attached to them. So anyways, yes, keep an eye out, understand what's going on in the periphery. I feel like architects too much are placed in the situation where we're, where we're very much, woe is me, we're the victim. Everyone else is stealing our work. Real estate agents in the US figured a way to get, you know, a fixed fee on commission and we can't get, get a fixed fee on our services. So we can take that mindset or we can be entrepreneurial and we can keep an eye on things, um, understand where we can make more movement for ourselves and and take action and move the profession forward. There you go. I mean, I think that's a good final words to, to end on. So I'm going to give you like a, a big clap. Now, Evelyn, if people have been inspired by this chat, um, and they want to get in touch with you about practice of architecture or Slack or anything that you've talked about, where can people find you? Um, we can always email me, evelyn at practiceofarchitecture.com. You can go to um, Red Mike asks how you actually sign up for the lab. Go to lab.practiceofarchitecture or practiceofarchitecture.com backslash lab, I think is the sign up page. Um, that's going to be changing soon. So do it now or come and revisit after the changes have happened. Um, uh, and then I'm most on most social, I think I'm all, I think I've pretty much standardized, except I'm not really on TikTok. Um, Evelyn Emily, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm on there. In spite of what's happening, we'll see how, I mean, some people think Twitter is going to live on. Some people think Twitter is going to go bankrupt. This is also another reason why it's good to have your own. People think email lists are dead, but you can, you, they, you, you own, we don't own people's data. You, but having your own email list means that if any of these platforms go away, yeah. you still know how to get in, in touch with your community, which I, which I think Twitter might be a good lesson there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. And last, last, last thing, I agree with you. That's why I invest so much time in my website, SEO, and putting all the content there because people can get familiar with oh, that. Oh, and can I throw in what is killing me right now is all of the architects who are paying for ads on Facebook and Instagram and you click <laughs> on it and it just goes to their Instagram page or it just goes to their website. If you are getting a person to click on it, you need to fig you need to give them a reason to give your email address so you can follow up with that person on the other side. If you're paying for ads just to grow followers, you're not going to get your mother. Like there's no return on investment there. Sorry. I'll get off that. Soapbox. No, I love it. I mean, I agree with you and, uh, and I will add to that. And that's why as much as SEO drives me insane, I do believe in the organic search results and people finding out 
what uh, you know what your website is and clicking onto it for purpose rather than clicking on it going away and then you've got to pay instagram or google 20p or I know, you know, you're paying them for every time they click on your website and disappear you should be yeah. paying them for every time they click on their website and give you an email address exactly so, yes. so uh, thank you so much evelyn i'm going to end the live stream in a second stay on the stage and hopefully we can get you back here soon for a third time if i didn't put you off but all right i'm okay. going to end the stream now thank you so much all right cheers bye. everyone bye thanks all